Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the author of Hiding Politics in Plain Sight, Cause Marketing, Corporate Influence, and Breast Cancer Policymaking. The book is published by Oxford University Press, and the author is Patricia Stratch. Patty Stratch is with me today. Patty, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Heath. Yeah. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the author of Hiding Politics in Plain Sight, Cause Marketing, Corporate Influence, and Breast Cancer Policymaking. The book is published by Oxford University Press, and the author is Patricia Stratch. Patty Stratch is with me today. Patty, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Heath. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to have read this book uh, as we are in the middle of a presidential campaign. And it's so nice to, to know that, you know, politics is not just presidential and, and elections. It's all of these other really interesting things. So I enjoyed reading the book so much. Before we get to it, uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. I am a uh, associate professor at the University of Albany, State University of New York, and I am in the departments of political science and public administration and policy. And I am also the deputy director for research at the Rockefeller Institute of Government, which is the public policy research arm of SUNY. So that's yeah, it's, it in um, a nutshell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so nice to have you on with all of these different ties and reading the acknowledgments. You could uh, see some of the, the places you have spent time in the writing of this really interesting um, book. And it's a book that has some terminology that I suspect many political scientists would be unfamiliar with. So I thought that starting there would be a good idea. So let's start with some definitions that are, that are important to this book, and they're in the title. Um, let's start with, with two, and that is, what is cause marketing? And how is it different from other political forms of consumerism, as you write in the book? So tell us about a couple of these, these key definitions. Sure. So um, cause marketing is where uh, companies partner with nonprofit organizations and a portion of the sale of a particularly marked good goes to support that organization and that issue. So, for example, it is October now, and that is um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so if you go to the grocery store, you'll see um, products with pink ribbons on those, um, and those products will benefit one of the large breast cancer organizations or maybe not so large um, organizations. So um, it's an example of a nonprofit corporate partnership, and it's supposed to raise awareness and raise funds for a particular um, issue. How does this different for, how does this differ from more political forms of um, consumerism? 
So I think we've we've seen people talk about political consumerism, and that's more generally where somebody goes to the store or buys something because they agree or disagree with the kind of the, the principles of the company. So if I would shop at Body Shop because they don't test on animals, for example, or if I boycott uh, Coors Beer because I don't like the politics of the company. Um, so that's, you know, we studied that in the past. There's been um, some, not, not a tremendous amount, but some research on this more political oriented uh, consumption. And cause marketing is different and to me a little bit more interesting because it's not intentional on the part of the people who purchase the products. So it's not the case, I may buy the product because I care a lot about breast cancer, um, in using my example, it's a pink ribbon, but I also might buy the product because I always buy yogurt, that brand of yogurt or that brand of cereal. Now, in the book, you, you study this issue, as, as you note, in the context of efforts to address breast cancer. Yes. Yet, instead of focusing on, on what we might describe as, a, as traditional interest groups, you focus on... Uh, the Susan B. Komen Foundation and uh, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Yes. I wonder if you'd tell us briefly about these two organizations, because they're not, not the typical political actors that we normally focus on. Yeah, so I actually, I have one of the chapters focuses on the National Breast Cancer Coalition, which is one of the traditional actors that we kind of focus on. But it got moved to um, the side to focus on something that political scientists don't usually think about, which are these nonprofits like Susan G. Komen and the Breast Cancer Research Foundation that don't, they do get involved in politics, but that's not mainly what they do. Most of what they do is work with a corporation to create um, what I call these um, commercial social movements. And by that, I mean they're working cooperatively with business. They're using mechanisms. Um, the means that they use to make change are uh, corporate means, so cause marketing, corporate-sponsored walks and runs. And the change they make is necessarily conservative. And by conservative, I mean it doesn't seek to dismantle you know, existing power structures like we would normally think about for a social movement. It kind of reinforces the existing kind of political and business uh, organizations that are in power. Um, and so these organizations, they partner with corporations um, to raise awareness and raise money for a particular cause, in this case, uh, breast cancer. And Susan G. Komen kind of pioneered these strategies. The Breast Cancer Research Foundation is another one um, that was very early involved in these kinds of uh, efforts. And as a result of their efforts of this very intense branding, this very intense marketing of breast cancer, I argue that they've really shaped the way that Americans think about um, breast cancer and disease more generally. And so we can think about the normal political science model as an interest group and it lobbies Congress, and that's certainly the case in breast cancer too. They have interest groups that are lobbying Congress for more money. But in this model, it's these organizations partnering with corporations, putting out a very, very public message that people see and respond to, shaping the way people think Americans think about this issue, and therefore how Congress addresses it. So it kind of makes an un end run in terms of shaping policy around the way we traditionally think about how actors exercise influence. Now, uh, to that very last point that you made, um, I think many people would take for granted uh, how these organizations frame this problem. Yes. But you suggest that their strategy was both purposeful and also not necessarily a consensus view of the issue. Yes. 
I wonder if you could talk, you know, what what is the frame that they use and have used? And what are some of the other frames that are out there uh, to to frame the problem of breast cancer in slightly different or maybe not even slightly more radically different ways? Uh, yes. Yeah. So one of the things that happens when you work with uh, corporations and you put your your message on packages is that a lot of the same strategies that corporations use to sell cereal or shoes or um, beverages, they're also using to market a disease. So you can't put very long, controversial descriptions of what breast cancer is. You need short, um, symbolic kinds of, of, of messages. And so the way that uh, these organizations framed breast cancer or branded breast cancer is more precisely probably what they did, is they branded it as pink. And that means that it is, it's seen as very hopeful, it's seen as very uh, feminine and very uh, non-controversial or non-political. And I think, you know, when I was working on this project, people used to say to me, well, of course, breast cancer has all these cause marketing partnerships. Women are a big constituency, and this is a disease that no one can disagree with. Nobody wants more breast cancer. And what I found in doing the research is that's actually the effect of cause marketing, not its cause for this disease. And what I found was in prior to the 1990s, as late as the 1980s, breast cancer was a stigmatized disease that um, Americans just wouldn't talk about openly. So, you know, in the, in the 1980s, you'll see that um, reporters in local newspapers avoid using the word breast in their stories. And organizations, early breast cancer organizations, don't use the word breast cancer in their name. So it was very stigmatized. It wasn't something you talked about. It was something that women avoided going to the doctor often to, to get that diagnosis. Um, and to kind of combat this idea that breast cancer is something horrible, something we can't talk about, um, Susan G. Komen and groups like the Breast Cancer Research Foundation marketed it as pink, um, that it was something that it was hopeful, that we could be very positive about. And they really put it into, and by making it so public, they really put it into um, Americans' everyday lives. We see the races, we see the products, we bring these products home, we see it at breakfast when we're washing dishes, when we're doing laundry. Um, so the frame was very intentional, but it's, it's not the only one. And so this is where the hiding politics in plain sight comes from. It's because they've, they've um, branded breast cancer as pink, hopeful, and uncontroversial and feminine. They've put it out very publicly on the places that we see every day on our products that we use every day. And it's shaped how Americans think about breast cancer. Um, and so uh, as a result, those groups and those organizations and those people who have different frames have a very hard time um, getting their message across. There's nothing innately uncontroversial about breast cancer. Within the breast cancer um, community, for example, there are mainstream organizations that want to go to Congress to get more funding, to get expanded funding to help low-income women with breast cancer um, uh, meet the challenges of the disease. There are organizations that don't want to work in traditional political circles at all. They want to go and disrupt um, corporate life as usual. They, you know, protest in the streets. They're very um, angry about these kinds of pink frames. But it's hard to, to know these organizations or to understand what they're doing when breast cancer is seen as pink. And it's kind of a frame that covers everyone in the disease, whether they like it or not. So I, I was surprised at first about how frustrated 
uh, folks who are not associated kind of with Komen and with the um, kind of pink framing are about this framing. Now, the book is 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 not just a sort of about a corporate story, but but it's also about the policy process. Right. And and in, in approaching the policy process, you disagree with John Kingdon on where ideas come from. Yes. This seemed to be a, a sort of a big point. Anytime you take on John Kingdon, the study of public policy, you're you're um, you're, you're making a, a strong point. And and you say, let me let me quote. Uh, ideas generated through market mechanisms look qualitatively different from ideas generated in policy processes. How is this the case? Uh, explain this this uh, argument that you're making here. Right. So um, John Kingdon is talking about agenda setting, and he said it doesn't really matter where ideas come from. And I think when you're when you're looking at a set of actors, whether it comes from policy actor A or policy actor B, that that may be the case. But when you're thinking about whether um, ideas come from and issues come from kind of the, the policy process that we've studied with Kingdon and with Baumgartner and Jones and many others, or whether they come from uh, outside through market mechanisms, they look very, very uh, different. So one thing I did was I compared what the stories were that were coming out of the policy process with which as political scientists were a lot more familiar with what stories look like in kind of this cause marketing process, which we're not so familiar with at all. And they they emphasize different issues. So cause marketing focuses on things like health and social welfare and environment, so tangible issues that we can see and think about easily. Policy process, is it's not going to be surprising, focuses on, on much bigger, more complex issues, government operations, international affairs, domestic commerce, you know, things that... Um, are meatier that are hard to wrap your brain around and hard to put on a, on a package, for example. But not only does it focus on different issues, it tells a qualitatively different story, as you mentioned. So cause marketing issues um, focus on awareness, not information. And awareness means you know about something, not necessarily that you know um, information on it. So I know that breast cancer is important, but I don't know how many women are going to get it and what the fatality rate is and who funds it, that kind of thing. Cause marketing stories promote individual over collective solutions. So, you know, when you when you buy a product and the portion of that goes to, to um, aid a particular issue or cause, People who, who do that don't get a sense, well, that issue is more important, government ought to be doing more, and they don't get a sense that that issue is really important, business ought to be doing more. They really get a sense that I've done something good, I've helped out this particular cause. So by doing this, cause marketing enables and empowers individuals, right? It tells you that you can make a difference on something that's very big and very complex. So cause marketing does not shy away from complex issues. Breast cancer has no cure at this point. They take on things like childhood hunger. Um, but what they do is they frame the problem as one of awareness, as one of making a difference by these very small things that you do and would likely do anyways. So if you're going to buy a cereal, you can make it, buy cereal but make a difference. Um, they also, unlike the policy process, cause marketing frames issues around marketable emotions like hope. So if you read, if you read um, hope and gratitude are built into a lot of what cause marketing stories, uh, the kind of stories they tell. So in the case of, of breast cancer, um, department store Kohl's had a website, and even when it provided information, it would say, you know, one in eight women 
has a lifetime risk of getting breast cancer. Next to it, there's a quote by a survivor that says, um, cancer is a gift and I feel lucky to have the opportunity. Um, things that we wouldn't normally think of as cancer is a gift, it's a silver lining, um, that kind of thing. And then the stories, the, the last thing that it really differs is it tells these consensual, positive, and seemingly apolitical stories. There is no disagreement. So funding breast cancer is a good thing because it helps people, um, you know, saving the endangered puffin is a good thing because it helps the animal. There is no sense of that there's conflict either within a particular community, the environmental community or the breast cancer community, between these communities and other issues, between breast cancer and heart disease, for example, or between women's health and other issues altogether, like education and foreign aid, which basically is what politics is all about, right? Somebody wins and somebody doesn't. Um, and, and that's not the story that cause marketing tells. Yeah, and you have this really interesting statement that you make about one of the 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 the, the um, longer uh, uh, problems of of studying policy, which is the public often loses attention. Uh, they pay attention for a little while, but then even even if it's, if it's a dramatic issue like like gun control, the issue shifts somewhere else. But you argue, and I think you mentioned this earlier, that cause marketing makes an end round around the issue attention cycle. Yes. Well, what does that mean exactly, and and is that effective? Is maintaining attention um, useful in in getting policies changed or or maintained? Tell us about that that part of the book. Um, yeah. So you know, we we know that uh, issues come onto the agenda, and everyone gets very excited about them, and we're going to make a big difference. We're going to make a change, and then when we find out that those issues are you know, very difficult and, and require very hard solutions, then the enthusiasm dampers and then we move on to something else and follow the same kind of um, issue attention cycle. But cause marketing doesn't have that problem because the solutions are never hard. The solutions are never difficult. They never require complex trade-offs. You can make a difference by doing those very things that you would do anyways and you can feel good about it. So breast cancer can come up every October. There can be products in the store. We can buy them. We can feel that we make a difference um, and that we can keep doing it over and over again. So I think, you know, the, the, the narrative in cause marketing is there's a big issue, but we're going to define it more narrowly and we're going to give you a solution that you can actually do. And the narrative and the policy process is there's a big problem. It's very complicated. It's going to be very hard um, to go out and figure out a solution to that. And so, you know, the policy process issues fade when we figure that out, but in cause marketing, um, it doesn't necessarily do that. And so what does that do to public policy? Well, I think the people who are doing cause marketing aren't necessarily so concerned with public policy. Um, but the side effect is, is that breast cancer gets lots of attention. So um, it comes up over and over again. Policymakers see it as this very positive issue that you can be very pro-woman without taking a stand on an issue that's much more controversial like abortion or equal pay. And so in that way, the, the attention to breast cancer, the understanding of breast cancer as um, kind of a pink, uh, as, as hopeful, positive, and uncontroversial means that policymakers have um, funded this disease uh, disproportionate to what they funded other cancers and other women's diseases. Um, the book, again, the really, really interesting book is Hiding Politics in Plain Sight. 
Cause Marketing, Corporate Influence, and Breast Cancer Policy Making. Again, the author is Patricia Stratch. The uh, publisher of the book this year is Oxford University Press. Patty, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Heath. I enjoyed it.